My sweet friends, welcome back to the book nook. I'm Raggedy Auntie, and today I want you to think about things that are not always what they seem. We have some very, very imaginative stories today. We're going to listen to the story called How the Whale Got His Throat from the Just So Stories, a very short poem called My Shadow. A really fun song about a pig that not only talks, but he does some really silly things. And we're going to hear about what Sleeping Beauty dreamed about while she was sleeping. Let's get started. How the Whale Got His Throat by Rudyard Kipling In the sea, once upon a time, oh my best beloved, there was a whale and he ate fishes. He ate the starfish and the garfish and the crab and the dab and the place and the dace and the skate and his mate and the mackerel and the pickerel and the really truly twirly whirly eel. All the fishes he could find in all the sea he ate with his mouth so till at last there was only one small fish left in all the sea and he was a small stute fish and he swam a little behind the whale's right ear so as to be out of harm's way. Then the whale stood up on his tail and said, I'm hungry. And the small stute fish said in a small stute voice, Noble and generous cetacean, have you ever tasted man? No, said the whale. What's it like? Nice, said the small stute fish. Nice, but nubbly. Then fetch me some, said the whale, and he made the sea froth up with his tail. One at a time is enough, said the stute fish. If you swim to latitude fifty north, longitude forty west, that's magic, you will find, sitting on a raft in the middle of the sea with nothing on but a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders, you must not forget the suspenders, best beloved, and a jackknife, one shipwrecked mariner who, it's only fair to tell you, is a man of infinite resource and sagacity. So the whale swam and swam to latitude 50 north, longitude 40 west, as far as he could swim, and on a raft in the middle of the sea with nothing to wear except a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders, you must particularly remember the suspenders, best beloved, and a jackknife, he found one single, solitary, shipwrecked mariner trailing his toes in the water. He had his mom's leave to paddle, or else he would have never done it, because he was a man of infinite resource and sagacity. Then the whale opened his mouth back and back and back till it nearly touched his tail, and he swallowed that shipwrecked mariner and the raft that he was sitting on and his blue canvas breeches and the suspenders, which you must not forget, and the jackknife. He swallowed them all down in his warm, dark, inside cupboards, and then he smacked his lips and turned round three times on his tail. 
But as soon as the mariner, who was a man of infinite resource and sagacity, found himself truly inside the whale's warm, dark inside cupboards, he stumped and he jumped and he thumped and he bumped and he pranced and he danced and he banged and he clanked and he hit and he bit and he leaped and he creeped and he prowled and he howled and he hopped and he dropped and he cried and he sighed and he crawled and he bawled and he stepped and he leapt and he danced hornpipes where he shouldn't and the whale felt most unhappy indeed. Have, have you forgotten the suspenders? Don't forget the suspenders. So he said to the stute fish, this man is very nubbly, and besides, he's making me hiccup. What shall I do? Tell him to come out, said the stute fish. So the whale called down his own throat to the shipwrecked mariner. Come out and behave yourself. I've got the hiccups. Nay, nay, said the mariner, not so, but far otherwise. Take me to my natal shore and the white cliffs of Albion, and I'll think about it. And he began to dance more than ever. You had better take him home, said the stute fish to the whale. I ought to have warned you that he is a man of infinite resource and sagacity. Oh. So the whale swam and swam with both flippers and his tail as hard as he could for the hiccups. And at last he saw the mariner's natal shore and the white cliffs of Albion. And he rushed halfway up the beach and opened his mouth wide and wide and wide and said, Change here for Winchester, Ashland, Nashua Keen, and stations on the... <coughs> Uh, Fitchburg Road. And just as he said Fitch, the mariner walked out of his mouth. But while the whale had been swimming, the mariner, who was indeed a person of infinite resource and sagacity, had taken his jackknife and cut up the raft into a little square grating, all running crisscross, and he had tied it firm with his suspenders. Now you know why you were not to forget the suspenders. And he dragged that grating good and tight into the whale's throat. And there it stuck. Then he recited the following sloka, which, as you have not heard it, I will now proceed to relate. By means of a grating, I have stopped your ating. For the mariner, he was also a Hibernian, and he stepped out on the shingle and went home to his mother, who had given him leave to trail his toes in the water, and he married and lived happily ever afterward. So did the whale, but from that day on, the grating in his throat, which he could neither cough up nor swallow down, prevented him from eating anything except very, very small fish. And that's the reason why whales nowadays never eat men or boys or little girls. The small stute fish went and hid himself in the mud under the door sills of the equator. He was afraid the whale might be angry with him. 
Oh, and the sailor took the jackknife home. He was wearing the blue canvas breeches when he walked out onto the shingle. The suspenders were left behind, you see, to tie the grating with. And that's the end of that tale. When the cabin portholes are dark and green because of the seas outside, when the ship goes whoop with a wiggle between, and the steward falls into the soup tureen and the trunks begin to slide, when nursey lies on the floor in a heap and mummy tells you to let her sleep and you aren't waked or washed or dressed, why then you'll know if you haven't guessed you're 50 north and 40 west. My goodness, can you imagine being swallowed up by a whale? It's lucky that that mariner had infinite resource and sagacity. Now, what we mean by resource is he had the things, he had the raft, the jackknife, and oh, the suspenders. We must not forget the suspenders, best beloved. And he had sagacity, which is he could think ahead and he could use his imagination to get out of tough situations. Now, I know that whales, some whales, do have what's called a baleen in their mouths. And it does exactly what that raft did when that mariner stuck it in that whale's throat with his suspenders, which we must not forget, best beloved. So, my sweet friends, that baleen is made out of the same thing that our hair and our fingernails are made out of. And it filters food for that whale. Now, do you think maybe that mariner is the one that invented that baleen and now all whales are born with them? Or do you think this is just a silly story that Rudyard Kipling came up with when he heard about the baleen in whales' mouths? We may never know. Now, Robert Louis Stevenson, who has met a few whales in his life, he wrote Treasure Island. But today, we're going to hear a really silly poem from him about his shadow. Listen to how he uses his imagination to describe what his shadow does. My Shadow by Robert Louis Stevenson I have a little shadow that goes in and out with me and what can be the use of him is more than I can see. He's very, very like me from the heels up to the head and I see him jump before me when I jump in my bed. The funniest thing about him is the way he likes to grow. Not at all like proper children, which is always very slow, for he sometimes shoots up taller like an India rubber ball, and he sometimes gets so little that there's none of him at all. He hasn't got a notion of how children ought to play and can only make a fool of me in every sort of way. He stays so close beside me. He's a coward, you can see. I'd think shame to stick to Nursey as that shadow sticks to me. One morning, very early before the sun was up, I rose and found the shining dew on every buttercup. But my lazy little shadow, like an errant sleepyhead, had stayed at home behind me. And he was fast asleep in bed. Now that I've heard that poem, all I can think about when I see my shadow is what is my shadow thinking? What is that silly shadow doing? 
Raggedy Auntie Shadow loves to dance and loves to grow big, big, big and small, small, small. You know what? Maybe today or tomorrow when you wake up or before you go to sleep, you can play with light and your shadow and see how your shadow dances with the light around you. I love poetry because a lot of times it sounds like it could be a song. And you know, one of my favorite things to do is to take a poem that I love so very much that has a nice rhythm and a nice rhyme, and I like to turn it into music. So go ahead and get your clapping hands ready, and let's sing. This is a song called Precocious Piggy, and it's from a poem written by Thomas Hood. Clap along if you'd like. Where are you going to, you little pig? I'm leaving my mother, I'm growing so big, so big, young pig, so young, so big. What leaving your mother, you foolish young pig? Where are you going to, you little pig? I've got a new spade and I'm going to dig. To dig, little pig, a little pig dig. Well, I never saw a pig with a spade that could dig. Where are you going to, you little pig? Why, I'm going to have a nice ride in a gig in a gig, little pig. What, a pig in a gig? Well, I never saw yet a pig ride in a gig. Where are you going to, you little pig? Why, I'm going to Queen's Head to have a nice swig. A swig, little pig. A pig have a swig. What, a pig in the Queen's Head having a swig? Where are you going to, you little pig? Well, I'm going to the ball to dance a fine jig. A jig, little pig. A pig dance a jig. Well, I never before saw a pig dance a jig. Where are you going to, you little pig? I'm going to the fair to run a fine rig. A rig, little pig. A pig run a rig. Well, I never before saw a pig run a rig. Where are you going to, you little pig? I'm going to the barbers to buy me a wig. A wig, little pig. A pig in a wig. Well, whoever saw a pig in a wig? So big, young pig. So young, so big. To dig, little pig. A little pig dig in a gig, little pig. What a pig in a gig. A swig, little pig. A pig have a swig. A jig, little pig. A pig dance a jig. A rig, little pig. A pig run a rig. A wig, little pig. A pig in a wig. Why, whoever saw a pig in a wig? Whoever saw a pig in a wig? <laughs> well, that was so much fun. Thank you for singing with me. We have one story left. And before we hear that story, we need to know the story before the story. Sleeping Beauty is a story that a lot of us are familiar with. It's in a lot of our fairy tale books, and a lot of different people wrote it down. But I think the most famous person is Charles Perrault. And his story became a movie made by Walt Disney in 1959. And you may be familiar with that one. It's pretty famous. But there's so many other movies and books based on this story because it starts when the princess is just a very, very tiny baby. And there's a fairy in the kingdom who is not invited to her christening. And she puts a curse on this princess and says she is going to prick her finger on a spinning wheel. That's a thing that people use to make yarn. She's going to prick her finger on that steering wheel and she's going to fall into a deep, deep sleep and she will never be woken up until a prince comes to kiss her. 
And not only that, but when she falls asleep, the whole kingdom falls asleep. So there's nobody to help the prince to find where this princess is sleeping. And that might sound like a really weird kind of curse, but I love this next story because it shows us that even though she was asleep, the princess had the power to choose who woke her up. Let's listen. The Sleeping Beauty's Dream by Mrs. M. H. Spielman. She pricked her hand with the point of the spindle and fell into a deep, deep sleep. And the creepers that had been climbing over the castle walls for a long time, searching for the turret chamber wherein the sleeping princess lay, the ivy, the jasmine, the briar rose, climbed round odd niches and corners as if all were curious to see the lovely maiden under the fairy spell. But the years went by and none had reached so high, though one sweet little briar rose had not given up hope and crept steadily onward and spread as it went. And this is the dream of the beautiful princess. She dreamt that she arose and wandered forth out of the castle gates onto the sunlit terrace. Her attendants had dozed over their labors and she worried at their laziness. The peacocks had stopped in their strutting and had fallen asleep. Even the singing birds in the trees had ceased their trilling and hidden their little heads under their wings. But the princess did not tarry. She went straight on past the closed-up daisies and sunflowers and the drooping foxgloves, past the goldfish drowsing in the fountain basin, for all around nature was hushed and had fallen asleep. Without hesitation, she crossed the meadow of wild flowers and reached the willow path that skirted the sparkling river and did not stop until she reached a willow larger than the rest. Then, bending under its branches, she neared the water's edge. There, an old wooden skiff was moored. Lifting her silken robe, she stepped into it, unfastened the cord, and... Reclining on the embroidered cushions, she closed her eyes with a happy sigh. <sighs> Away drifted the bark with its lovely burden. The sunlight turned to twilight with lurid gleams and pale green flecks jeweled in the sky. The twilight turned to dark gray and silver, and the moon and stars watched her on her way. The boat floated to where the silent river joined the open sea. Still, peacefully on it went, over the bosom of the moonlit ocean, onward into the night. The princess's sweet thoughts were disturbed by the sudden stopping of her craft, which had run aground on the sands just where the tiny wavelets retreated shyly to venture again and as quickly withdraw. Soft and balmy was the summer's night, and on the breeze music came, wafting towards the young princess, who smiled and landed lightly, drawn by the bright strains which led her, following, to a pleasure ground. Lights hung festooned in the great trees, and in an open space, peasants in their picturesque costumes were dancing and laughing as they stepped. The princess, from behind a tree, gazed on the scene, 
on the glades and lake in the distance, all mysterious in the night. And as she listened to the laughter and the music, she knew she had never heard anything so delightful before. Happy at the sight and sounds, she moved from behind the tree, and she saw a young man approach her with great respect, one of a group who were not dancing. The princess would have fled, but he was already close, and although his dress betokened origin as humble as that of those around, he was as handsome as a young god. They looked into one another's eyes, and she accepted his invitation to dance. Afterwards, they sat together on a mossy knoll and talked low. All was silent all around, and the light of the stars was reflected in the glowworms. But the princess did not tell him who she was. And when he spoke of a quest on which he was about to start, to find his unknown betrothed who awaited him in a distant land, she wept. Her sweet tears fell upon his hand, which he raised to his lips reverently and kissed them there, and she smiled on him for doing so. But the smile faded as an old woman came, plucking him by the sleeve, told him it was the hour to go. And when the princess was alone, she felt as though she had never known before what it was to be alone. And she would be awakened by a king's son. How long a time passed by, she did not know. But again she saw the handsome peasant youth, and her heart sank as she thought of her release could come only through the kiss of some king's son who could claim her for his wife. Then she pondered no more, for she saw the traveler now, far, far away, where she could not get near him. And he was on a forest path, wrestling with desperate fury with a with a giant who had barred the way. Breathlessly, she watched the youth as he struggled in the brawny monster's clutch. The princess, moved by his stress, cried out in her sleep. Then the rays of the noonday sun, redoubling their forceful heat, shone forth with overpowering energy. The giant, struck with the pain of it, clasped his hands to his head and fell backwards like a log to the ground. The princess knew that her love was safe, and by her fear for his safety she knew, too, how dear he was to her. And she went on dreaming, dreaming happily of what might be the future shared with one she loved so much. Her heart fluttered as with foreboding of evil. She beheld a range of mountains, and up the foot of one of those peaks a peasant youth toiled his weary course. But the mountain was so slippery that his efforts were of no avail. As he gazed round, she could see his handsome features, clouded by fatigue that was almost despair. She saw that the mountain was glistening and that it was made of ice. Then she felt the breath of summer. She saw it lift the white pall from the earth. She saw it melt the belt of ice. And as she looked, the mountain dissolved into water under the warmth of her love. She saw that he was safe, trudging over the carpet of cowslips, smiling as he went. She wanted to run towards him, but he passed through a thicket and disappeared from sight. The princess arose to follow him, but she lost her way and wandered on and on through a dense forest where nothing stirred but scampering hares and startled squirrels. At last, 
Towards evening, she came to a path all beautiful with glowing flowers, refreshed by their evening bath of dew, and whispering to one another a hushed, Good night! ere the closing of their eyes to the light. As the princess passed along, the strains of an organ fell upon her ear, and she saw a great temple before her. She stood at the open door. Within, hundreds of candles lighted the vast gray dome, and far beyond, in a haze of mystery, stood the man she loved, and by his side his bride, all veiled in white, and she knew his quest was done, and that he had found her whom he had gone to seek. Then there was a stir in the multitude, and a peal of bells rang out in the stillness without. The princess sank down and felt as though she swooned. A kiss was on her lips. She, she trembled, for she knew the moment had come for the prince to claim her, but this kiss was sweet. The sleeping beauty came slowly back to consciousness. She awoke, and before her was a tall knight in silver armor. His handsome features were lighted up with joy. She knew him well, and enfolded in his embrace, she murmured happily, It's you, O oh, prince, the youth of my dream. And the little briar rose peeped in at the turret casement and nodded in the breeze at the lovers as they sat close, clasped, and as the bells pealed forth told the news to the ivy, which told it to the jasmine, until soon the tidings spread over the great city far and wide, over all the joyful land. I love what those bells mean. Those bells mean happily ever after. We heard a lot of stories today about things not being as we think they are. Who knew there was a grate in a whale's throat or in his mouth to keep him from swallowing people? Who knew that Sleeping Beauty got to pick the night that woke her up? Without her even realizing it, she got to travel in her dreams. Isn't that interesting? We heard about Robert Louis Stevenson's very funny shadow and, of course, a pig in a wig. Now, whoever heard of a pig in a wig? Thank you so much for joining me to listen to these stories today. I hope that you stay happy, stay healthy, and keep reading. Stay healthy, keep reading Stay happy, stay healthy, keep reading Until the day comes we meet again Stay happy, stay healthy, keep reading my